the storytelling aspect when you're looking at it as a VC or with, whether you're looking from a television standpoint, it's an art form. But regardless of how you how you do it, you got to think quick on your feet. If you can't be yourself, you can't tell a story. The ultimate storytellers, the ultimate actors are the method actors. They become who their character is. And that's how they can tell the story the best. And that's why they're so convincing. And so if you can find a way to become the Daniel Day-Lewis of presenting to a VC, you can get any kind of money you want, right? What's up, everybody? It's Dahani Jones, 11-year vet, NFL athlete, investor, media guy. This is the game plan. Tim, our next guest is so much more than an athlete that I think the fairest way to describe him would be to call him what he is, a modern renaissance man. From the NFL to entrepreneurship to his own TV shows, Dahani Jones has been entertaining fans around the world for decades. I only hope that my intro can do him adequate justice. Dahani, thank you so much for joining us today. Boom. Yes, there Dahani Jones, and this is my game plan. How about that? <laughs> I thank you for joining us. Let's just get right into it. Yeah, well, since we since we were talking a little bit before, and I love, you know, kind of rolling right into podcasts, we were talking about competition, right? Yeah. And we were, we were talking about how do you live in a world of competition, but at the same time, have respect. I think that's maybe a, another angle to look at. And you know, we were talking about this sport that's played in Italy. One of my friends, Andrew Freed, did a TV show called The Home Game, and it's one of the episodes. And I had an opportunity, but we missed out to play this sport in, in Italy. But basically, you know, you take the ball and 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 one of the players is responsible of just basically you know, like a running back or a wide receiver, you know, they have the ball and they're either trying to score it by running down to the other side of the the zone or they're able to toss it. And if they get it into the net, then they get a point. If they don't get into the net, they lose a half a point. OK, the only way you can get down there or the closer you get, obviously, increases the probability of you getting the ball into the net or you actually get into the zone. Right. OK, the only way you can get down there is because your frontline people are fighting. And we were talking about fighting and I'm not talking about. This isn't like NFL in the trenches. No, this is not NFL in the trenches and they're in talking about refs. No, we're not talking about refs. We're not talking about <laughs> Herrera up in the booth. We're not talking about like the competition committee trying to figure out if you can cut somebody. No, you don't have any, you know, knives. You don't have any, you know, bats. You don't have any crowbars. You just have your body. Okay. And so you can punch someone. I'm talking about knock them out, right? You can kick someone, try to break their leg. How I compare this to business or how I'm trying to ask the question, in that game, if someone says, I can't breathe, you stop. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of respect. And so you know, as we're thinking about these different environments of which people try to communicate and there's there's some type of like privacy or charthouse rules or inside baseball or, you know, friend DA. Like you wish in some way, shape or form that people have that respect, but there's also this, this, this drive of survival of the fittest. Yeah. Yeah. There is still a notion of edge. Mm. I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. There's still a notion of edge, like how am I going to beat you where you try to use everything to your best ability to yeah. win? Yeah. The challenge now becomes like, how are you a good person 
Mm. Right. That competitive edge yeah. in the same way as that sport where you beat them to a pulp, but if they say that they're hurt, you stop. Like where does that competitive edge live and where does that respect live? I think it, it's hard to kind of gauge in the world today, especially if we're looking at the world of business, because I want to, I want to win. But at the same time, there are good people in this world. Like I, I love giving, I love giving away ideas. Yeah. I love trying to find partners, but I also know that there are people out there that are trying to take, that are trying to give me the Heisman so that they can go and run the ball and they can win and they'll leave me in the dust. And I wonder, are there more people like that or are there less people like that? And in the end, we're ultimately only celebrating the winners, not necessarily how they got there. Well, the, the rules are a little bit different, right? So so talking now in the context of like digital media, right? Back back when it was hard to get a show done, and, and you can speak to this having pitched and put a show together, you know, now with digital media, anybody on Instagram, anybody on Twitter can anybody. start to create their own shows. So there's a lower barrier to entry for what ideas are good. What do you mean lower? Like, no. There's no barrier to entry. If you want to do something stupid, somebody else will film it for you. Right. You don't even right. have to have any type of device. You don't have to have any sort of recording feature. For all intents and purposes, you could use a closed caption TV. You could use a security cam, which, by the way, that's a good idea. You basically create all your content via security cam. And well, that was that was cops, right? Back when cops was was the biggest show in America. That's all. Which I'm which I'm which I'm happy that they 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 finally that. canceled. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a whole that's a whole another conversation. How does that change how you think about content today? When you again have seen it in one era where you were pitching to linear TV with the Travel Channel, I want to hear yeah. all about sort of what that process of getting a show made is. But then today, as you think about how how content is different, and you being a storyteller. How does that change your mindset of like, is it harder? Is it easier? Like, what, what is that now? That is, that is such a, a complicated question with hmm. so many levels to unpack and some of which I honestly don't know. Okay. I, will say, I will say this. It is extremely easy to create whatever we call TV. And TV is and will always be some type of content that another person watches. It doesn't matter where it is, right? It could be on your screen in your office or in your living room or on your phone, or it could be on your computer, whether we call it digital, whether we call it linear, whether we call it traditional, whether we call it like new market, there's a lot of things you can call it. It's, you can create it. What people will always give you feedback on is if it's good. It all comes down to if it's, if it's good. And when I was creating television. I, I remember my first show that I did was with the NFL network back in 2003. And this is when the NFL network was first starting off. That was my first real show. I mean, I did some different shows with, Oh, by the way, Jay Glazer before, you know, he basically blew up on Fox. I'm talking about, this was like with MS, MSG TV or New York. One. I can't remember. It was yeah. MSC TV or New York one, right? This is back in New York. Back in your Giants days. Back in my Giants days, right? And so I got an opportunity to do the NFL Network and we had a camera and we had a line all the way back to the truck. I mean, I had to carry the line all the way back to the truck. I had to pull it all the way out onto the field. You know, you're dragging things around. I mean, the world of television was so much different back then because you were still attached to something, right? And then as I kind of progressed and I had the NFL network, I got an opportunity to do an ESPN show it was ESPN two. It's yeah. called timeless. And that show I did the intros, middles and raps. 
and it was around obscure sports stories and it lived right after Bassmasters. So I doubt you saw it. I watched it all the time because I loved it. <laughs> and maybe I represented the ratings too, because that's the reason why I didn't last that long. Cause maybe I was the only one watching. You know what? I think ESPN two would probably take the ratings they got from that show. However many years ago for what they put out there now, I think they'd be happy to have it. Well, we could either, we could either watch timeless or we could watch Cornhole. I, I think Cornhole is on, exactly. on ESPN too. Exactly. I, which, I, which I can't believe is a professional sport. It's like this backyard <laughs> game. And basically a bag and you throw it into a hole, whatever, what is it, 30 yards or 20 yards, whatever the distance is. I mean, I, I, my mind is blown. Your your question is a, rele- is, is a very relevant one. You know, one is sort of how do I see the evolution of TV Two, you know, how do I look at how people are pitching three in terms of the talent? I think it's still in the midst of this change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I said, I can go through all the different shows that I've been a part of. The experience, I think, though, is large in part the same because ultimately everybody, regardless if you're on TikTok, Instagram, whether you're on Facebook or on Instagram Live or whether you're in you know, some type of other content, you still want to get to the holy grail, with, which is TV, right? Everybody still wants to get to TV, right? right. right? Everybody still wants to get get the, the brand to give them the money so that they can really get into a sustainable place where they're not running around just trying to create some, some content. Like I just saw one of my, one of my friends, Spice Adams, and he does some of the best videos I've ever seen in oh, my yeah. life. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't know all the names of all the characters, but you know, if you haven't watched it, check him out. And he's doing an ad for, for Nerf, you know, you just crossing, crossing over. Now that's another layer to unpack crossing over. What does that actually right. mean? Does right. that mean that you get out of just sort of self-creation into sort of commercialization? That's certainly always been the case with media, but would you agree that it's harder than ever to keep someone's attention? Like Spice has perfect example. He's been so successful because he's, he's making clips mostly, right? He's making anywhere from two to three minute videos that are easy to digest in your feed versus like going out and being part of a, a TV show like you've done many times. Like the ability for those shows to capture someone's attention and keep it for the whole 30 minutes is less and less the case, especially in an unscripted series, if it's not reality TV. Yeah. Maybe it's it's the time. Maybe it's the, to your point, the attention span of, of people. But you know, if you look at, I, I, I'll throw out three shows right now and everybody will say, I love that show. I'll watch it and I'll binge watch it. Billions. Okay. Peaky Blinders. Okay. Westworld. Right. So, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, good right. shows. Right. And it, it, and you could also attribute it in a very similar world way to the VC world. You know, you're going to have, you know, 10 companies that fail and the one company that's a, the that's the success that makes the return on the whole entire thing. And I think that, like I said, I'm not sitting here as a head of a major network, but they're all thinking about the same way. How can you find that hit show, that Seinfeld show, that Kirby enthusiasm show, that office show that basically carries the entire network, regardless of where it lives. And in this world today, you will look through all the different platforms. I mean, how hard has has it got to be for someone that's sitting in a room trying to make a decision on the show? How hard has it got to be to be able to look through all the different platforms that are out there to be able to determine which one is actually going to live the best on your platform? 
to attract the most on your platform and to retain the most amount of people on your platform so so that you can keep the lights on right yeah so i mean look if they brought tackles the globe back right now we'd be crushing it that's right yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah and, and and it's it is an interesting parallel you're drawing between media creation and venture capital because they are both in your words like hits driven businesses right you sort of mm-hmm. have to have that one that covers for the losses of the other i think the other parallel between the two is this idea of whether you are a founder that is pitching your company or you are a creative that's pitching a show. There is a mm. level of expertise in storytelling that you have to have. And and I know this is something that's like a, a bit of a passion topic <laughs> for you. So let's let's start there a little because I'd love your thoughts on it. What is good storytelling and then and why like what makes it a good story when you are pitching either as a founder or or as a creative? Well let me say this when it comes to storytelling Part of the story in real time comes at the ability to read the room. I I don't think a lot of people really take that into consideration. And just sort of just looking at the times that we live in now, even looking at stuff on on right now on a Zoom, right? But but you're right. The storytelling aspect when you're looking at as a VC or whether you're looking from a television standpoint. It's an art form and it's something that I've lived my entire life in. And maybe I have my Montessori education to thank because it fundamentally gave me the opportunity and the ability to ask questions. And, you know, whether you come into a situation and you're on the offensive trying to draw as much information as possible in order to kind of present your energy or whether you're on the defensive listening so that you can repeat everything back to someone while interweaving sort of the narrative of whatever you're trying to present. Those are two different ways, but regardless of how you, how you do it, you got to think quick on your feet. Yeah. You know, you, you have to be malleable. And one of the challenges that I feel as though some people deal with now, because there is sort of the, everybody's scared of saying the wrong thing is living a, a rigid life where you don't have the flexibility and malleability to evolve to whoever is in the room in order to ultimately be yourself. And they talk about this all the time on Clubhouse. They talk about this all the time on Twitter and Instagram. Like, how do you be your, how can you be yourself? If you can't be yourself, you can't tell a story. The ultimate storytellers, the ultimate actors are the method actors. They become who their character is. And that's how they can tell the story the best. And that's why they're so convincing. And so if you can find a way to become the Daniel Day-Lewis of presenting to a VC, you can get any kind of money you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it makes it so believable. And, and I think it's, it's hard for people to do that nowadays because there's so much restricting and preventing you from, if, you know, for sort of being who you are, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and for me... That's been a part of whether it's Tackles the Globe or it's been a part of Adventure Capitalists or whether that's a part of the Jones and Mosley show or that's a part of my CNN show or just being a man on the, the street, you know, meeting people where they are. I've, I've just sort of lived that way and I, and I love it. When you look back at all the different content you've produced, shows you've hosted, even going back to those early days on NFL Network, which is funny, right before you came on, I was saying to Jay, I'm like, I'm pretty sure he was like the first active athlete 
First, first, you know, on NFL, not only hey, on NFL Network, but first, really on any, any, any sports Tim, network. Tim, let me tell you something. I was the first active player to be on the field interviewing players during a playoff of which I was not in on the NFL Network. I was the first one, right? right? And then you can talk about ESPN. Yes, I was the first player, probably one of the first players to have his own show, right? So, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Well, and that. it's funny because now we have like the NBA <laughs> bubble and the only people covering it are active players through their social media accounts and whatnot. But to just kind of Oh, wait, the- wait, which by the way, which by the way, you know, I retired from football in 2011 and it's almost 2021, almost 10 years later. 10 years ago, it was frowned upon. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't what you were supposed to be focused on. And now the teams, the leagues, the networks, the people, they need the content. They thrive off the content. They want to see, you know, what we see, what we experience, right? They want that, right? Because that's the real, real, right? That's like the real part, the real part of the game. Well, almost 10 years removed, I'll, I'll pivot a little bit to what you just said, almost 10 years removed from the league now. In which situation did you feel the most pinched as it related to the stuff you were doing off the field where a hmm. team or a coach really put the pressure on you to, or, or made you, you know, tried to make you feel guilty about that stuff or even maybe straight out said, hey, you can't do that anymore. That was all the time. <laughs> pinched. Come on. You live in a world where you're trying to push the bubble. You're trying to push the envelope. And so you naturally get resistance, right? So you naturally sit in a pinched environment. And so going back to your question about pinch, you know, when I was on the Giants, you know, obviously you're, I'm a rookie and I got hurt. I'm hanging out with straight hands, straight hands, like say please and say thank you and shake people's hands and be nice to people. And I start meeting people. I'm a Montessori person. So I start talking to people and I start spending time with people. And then it becomes like the running joke. Dahani's burning the candle at both ends. And I, I made the most of a 24 hour day. I was on my razor scooter, right? I should have came up I should have came up with a uh, bird and lime and, and bolt and all these other companies. I should have came up with that back in 2000 because I was doing that in New York city. I should have been doing, I should have came up with that business, but that became like the running joke. And then I got onto the field and then I focused on my game. I made the plays. And at the same time that I was doing stuff, as I said before, Jay Glazer. And then all of a sudden the NFL network came up and I wanted to do that too. And then the questions start flirting about, right. They become these little bubbles drawn around the caricature of Dahani's face, which I imagine in the world of sports or in any type of way where you're managing your inventory or you're managing your, your employee base, what are they doing? What are they talking about? How are they focused on the game? Are they actually paying attention to the game? Why did they miss that tackle? Was it because they were out that last night? It was it because they weren't focused on what they were supposed to be focused on. Some of those bubbles started proliferating out into the universe as he actually focused Right. So you kind of feel that it's not one, it's not two, it's just sort of the environment. And so that continues into, or it plays a heavy role in how do you get your next contract? You know, that plays into that negotiation as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember my agent specifically saying to me, you know, you might want to adjust, you know, your voicemail because I even had like a creative voicemail. You might want to adjust the voicemail so that it can fit a little bit more mainstream and business-like. 
because then when people know or listen to you when you're thinking about the game of football, they know that you're only focused on that and don't have sort of that creative ambiance around you. So my point being, I can give you a myriad of stories where I've been pinched, but I can also tell you that when I got to the Cincinnati Bengals and not saying I didn't have a good experience at the Giants or I didn't learn some amazing lessons and love going to the Super Bowl with the Eagles and, you know, and, and just love playing for the teams. But I remember when I was on the Cincinnati Bengals, Mike Brown, okay, he's the owner of the team. Yep. Okay. Mike Brown comes downstairs and eats lunch with us. And he's in line. And he taps me on the shoulder. And, and mind you, this was after my first year or my sort of my player minimum contract, kind of like a Cam Newton contract hmm. that he's getting in New England. I kind of got my, my, my one-year deal at Cincinnati, and I was doing honey tackles the globe and at the same time playing football. And I, and I didn't really talk about it because I had yeah. had that previous six years of experience in terms of like how people were looking at it. And I figured like, I won't necessarily talk about it. If they see it fine and they bring it up great, but I'm not going to really bring it up because I just want to really focus, right? Trying to understand this game. This is my game plan, right? So Mike Brown taps me on the shoulder in the lunchroom and he just says this and it just crystallized the reason why I was supposed to be in Cincinnati. He said, my wife makes me watch your TV show every Monday night. Mind was blown. Yeah. Mind was blown. This kind of bringing everything full circle and being who you are and how that really starts to show or, or that allows you to tell a true story that also allows you to function at your best self, right? Yeah. So going back to the pitch in the room or um, whether it's a company or a pitch to a network or a show and really being able to be who you are, I wasn't able to be who I was until I really got to Cincinnati. Mm, yeah. And when I got to Cincinnati and Mike Brown came out and told me that was it basically it was okay to do my show without saying it was okay. Right. And I was a captain on the team and I knew in my mind, I had to take responsibility. Like if I got hurt off season, there would be no season. Like that was on me. Right. Once I was able to, to take ownership over that, I was a leading tackler on the team. Wow. I was a captain three years in a row. And I just went out there and played and I really kind of reached that next level. And I think that everybody is trying to try trying to find a space or an, a time or a place to be able to do that. Yeah. And going back to the content piece, I think we're still in the, the in the time where we're flirting with what is actual content we're flirting with who people are really are and we're flirting with how do we really consume this content and where does it essentially live and those that are picking and choosing and green lighting and red lighting which by the way that show hollywood is ridiculous okay it's that's a beautiful show right those that are in the room i think they too don't necessarily know mm -hmm. and we'll see over a you know within our our lifetime, things start to you know consolidate or 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 start to you know become a little bit you know for lack of better terms linear. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, that, that example you've shared isn't just in the NFL. We had Trevor Booker, who retired this year, played the NBA for many years, said that when he was signing with the Nets, his agent called him and said the team has questions about all these, you know, venture investments and private equity investments you're doing off the court. And they're worried that it's pulling your attention. And he was like, come on, man. Like, you know, and, and Tim and I talk about this. It's like, okay, you know what? You don't ask those questions when Russell mm. Wilson sells a company to Nike for 300 million, but you ask it when, you know, the guy coming off the bench is maybe doing something. When you're looking for reasons. And you're looking yeah. for reasons. So, so I'm, I'm curious when you find yourself, and again, I know, you know, it, it was about a decade ago, so the league is different. Maybe it's changed now, but. Or maybe it's did, not. Maybe it's not, but how, how do you find guys balancing that? And are those conversations that are happening amongst players where you're like, hey, I, I see you're doing real estate. I see you're doing this. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about more than more than an athlete, as it were. I, I think it ultimately comes down to the person. Can you balance your lifestyle, your outside interests with your abilities on the field? Right. Can you find the advocate on the team? that lives upstairs in the front office to always bet on you and can you convert? Right. And ultimately it comes down to, you know, it, it comes down to your performance, right? LeBron's not going to have, you know, the, the hundred million dollar contract from Disney for, for Spring Hill, had he not been or become LeBron through his hard work, right? KD is not going to you know do the same type of thing. All these players, Steph, you know, that's basketball, right? You're talking about Patrick Mahomes or whether you're talking about Russell Wilson. They're not going to do it without having the success. Tom Brady, right? He's not going to have TB12 had it not been um, for Bledsoe, right? And then him being able to convert, him being on the on the right team at the right time with the right coach and the right management with the right supporting cast in the right environment and the right lifestyle, Right. So there's so many other things that kind of come into it. And so I think it's a little bit of luck. I think it's a lot of timing. And I think that it's it's a it's a rally of a community that really wants to support and see you be successful. And so it goes back. Right. We can bring this full circle. It goes back to the people that will ultimately make the decision. And those people will in turn allow you to capitalize on your opportunities, which would therefore allow you to capitalize on what you see are opportunities outside of the game that therefore add value to who you are and therefore add length and add time to your success. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was a lot to, you're making me think here. That's, that's what we try to do on the game You're making me think. Oh, <laughs> okay. I had a stretch. I had a stretch. <laughs> Regardless of a player's platform or how successful they are, Pretty much across the board, any athlete that we've talked to, especially retired, says, I wish I had done more while I was still an active player. But I think to your point, could they have handled more? Probably not. That's why they didn't do more. Nowadays, I think it's easier to start thinking about what can I be doing off the court or I need to be doing mm. something else. And you were one of the first guys to kind of introduce that as an active player. So that certainly helps. But you're right. At the end of the day, mm. you need to be able to perform on the field to continue to be relevant, to continue to get paid. And now the opportunities, Jay and I have also talked about this, get really interesting because generally speaking, professional athletes in re more recent history have done a better job of managing their wealth and 
ensuring that they're protected for the long haul. It also helps that they're making a lot more money because the value of the leagues mm. has gone up so much. So we're interested to see, you know, are we about to turn a corner where guys have said, okay, I've made enough. I've, I'm safe for me, for my family. Like I'm, I'm good. Now, actually, I do want to get a little bit more um, aggressive or do some more interesting things. And we could hand pick and cherry pick. We don't need to commentate on every single guy that's doing something interesting. Mm-hmm. But even guys who aren't all stars in the NBA, for example, are getting max contracts. Mm-hmm. And so that that opens up just from a pure amount of capital they have, it opens up new opportunities. And so if they've, they've buried it in their mind to say, hey, I got to take care of this. Okay, now I'm covered. What can I do now? I'm, I'm blending a lot of topics now, but curious to get your perspective on that. Yeah. Let me, let me just touch on an, another subject. Yeah, And then sure. we can kind of come back to it. I've always wondered, why does an athlete have to stop making money after you play? Like, how come the conversation always sort of revolves around making enough while you're playing so that you can live comfortably that stereotypical narrative narrative. And I'm not saying that you're supporting or you're thwarting the sort of the, the narrative. I'm just saying in generally speaking, when people think about athletes, they say, okay, well, you only have a short window of time in order to make money. Building off of that. If we may, Donnie, like <laughs> how do you feel like athletes being taken seriously in something other than what they're doing? And this is this is like a theme that, that Tim was touching on, which is like you want to mm. do all these things, you have the ability to do all these things, but then there's that barrier of, hey, like, can you be taken seriously doing them? But I, I think the the question then there goes, you know, to what you're alluding to, Jay, is that the seriousness or how do you take a, an athlete or, or or player? And I don't know if we've essentially removed the narrative of just an athlete from players in this world. I don't know if we've necessarily done that. And I know that a lot of people have tried to work through that. A lot of people have represented themselves outside of just being a, a player. I don't know if our society has necessarily removed that category. And frankly, I don't know if necessarily players want to be removed from that category too, because in order to get into the door, you have to have something that's different than that other person that's trying to get into the door. I'm trying to pitch my company or if I'm trying to pitch my, my show, how am I going to get to see you, Jay? It's not my neighbor that you're talking to on game plan Right, Tim, how am I going to find you? I have to come with something that's different, right? So that there, there is something that is of great, you know, people stand in awe to the notion of that athlete. So you, there's, there's sort of like this world that we live in where on the one side, you don't necessarily want to be defined as an athlete. On the other side, you say to yourself, well, I need that, ath- that, that athletic prowess in order to get myself to the other side, other side, of, the, other side of the table. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's a. I think maybe your point you're you're asking the question: Will we ever get past that? I don't know if we're going to get past it. And I don't know if players want to necessarily get past that because it's such a, a, a valuable pin on your lapel that allows you the opportunities that you have. Now, I think the question is: What do you do with those opportunities? 
And how are you able to capitalize, build, develop, create worth, net worth, family values, legacy? I think that is where the conversation really should start to lean more towards, because then that is the most important piece that you're going to leave, right? It's not necessarily how you're going to live, but it's really what you're going to leave. Yeah, I guess no. It's it, you're you're giving us a lot to think about here too. So uh, as we think about your entrepreneurial journey, because I, I also know that on that whole idea of storytelling, I mean, you sort of went into the business of storytelling, having started some creative agencies, even having gone and sold one. Through that process, what was the most surprising thing for you in becoming an entrepreneur? And maybe what were you least prepared for in that journey? And, and how did you handle it? What was I surprised by? Yeah, having having never been an entrepreneur before, you start something. <laughs> yeah, but I, didn't, I, I wasn't thinking about it like that. I wasn't thinking about like, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I was just thinking about starting a business. I don't even think like the word entrepreneurship. I don't think the word entrepreneur was sort of like held in such revelry as as we kind of see the faces of these unicorn companies. And all of a sudden, this word entrepreneur becomes like just as famous as the word like humanity. But I think the thing that was was most surprising, I, I think the thing that's most surprising is how it's not it's not that difficult to start a company. You know, I think the, the surprising part is it's really hard to continue building a business. Hmm. OK, I don't think that's really surprising. I mean, if you have a couple of dollars and you you spin up an LLC and you walk into a room and you convince someone to give you a chance. I think there's a lot of people willing to give you a chance, but when you really get to sort of this level of scalability, then that ultimately becomes the, the biggest challenge of them all, because that's getting multiple people in multiple rooms to believe you multiple times over in order for you to build your company into a higher level of valuation. So therefore you could sell it at a multiple, right? That's really, really hard because then it starts to be a limited amount of people that sit at the top ranks of the business that ultimately are determining the destiny. And then it comes down to what people have said for time and time again, it's not it's not the amount of money you have. It's the amount of relationships that you've been able to build along the way. The people that love and respect you and the people that want to work with you. And it's the people that have grown to know, like, and trust you. And it's the people that have wanted you to be successful just as much as you want to be successful. I think that is the hardest part of it is building that narrative. That goes back to, are you more than just an athlete? That goes back to, are you an entrepreneur that's doing this for fun? Or are you doing this entrepreneur that's really building a serious business? Then a lot of those other bubbles that I started talking about before start to creep into people's mind. And then because it's human nature or even that much more now to be a little bit more conservative. And sometimes those opportunities really don't present themselves and you get stuck. And then you have a business that's kind of floating around in the ether and you can't ever get over the hump. Is that is that what happened with the agency business or? That well, was... no, I'm just saying I'm just saying those are the types of things that are challenging in any sort of business. Yeah. environment. And, yeah. And, you know, you start to hit that plateau and and there's more conversations about, you know, there's more conversations about companies that have failed and companies that are successful and less far less conversations about companies that have plateaued. You know, our our company proclamation, we were able to sell that VMG Creative is still going very well. 
There have been businesses that I've invested in that have done really well and some that have have failed along the way, but everybody has that same narrative. But if you have that, that pin that I was talking about before, then that all of a sudden acts like a light. And then people like to highlight the ones that didn't do so well. They, you know, right. Right. So that plays into the stereotype to kind of reinforce that narrative that, you know, that some people want to keep listening to, or they want to continually play in their CD shuffle. So you bring up a great point about the stages, especially as it relates to venture capital, the pressure to scale. And you're an investor yourself. You've incubated other companies like Action Streamer, which is actually how we were introduced to you. I think another key point that you're touching on is just the importance of timing. And I guess I'm curious from your perspective, you know, is the right timing something you can plan for? Or something you kind of have to go into with your eyes closed. I mean, we were even just talking about how you <laughs> scooted around New York City 15 years ago. You could have you could have invented Lime or Bird, but guess what? That probably wasn't the right time for those companies. Who knows if even right now is the right time, right? We're still kind of <laughs> seeing how those companies do. Tim, to answer your question, timing is everything. Timing is everything. If you're early and you're right, you are still wrong. Right. My partner, she's she said that so many times because, you know, I am I'm a dreamer. Right. And so many of us as entrepreneurs believe that we have the right idea. I don't I don't think timing is something you can plan for. It's just something you have to do. You have to believe in it. It's unfortunate that not all all those that are, are first ever get celebrated. It's oftentimes as some of my friends have told me, it's those that are that are last are the ones that get the medal. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Is Facebook the last the last company of social networking? I don't know. Right. Was it the first? Definitely not. But Zuckerberg is crushing it. Right. He's doing just fine. You know, if you want to look at some of the earlier interviews. Right. People were looking at Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook and nobody thought it could be anything. And all of a sudden it it aligns perfectly. Look at Zoom and how well Zoom is doing. Right. What happened to Skype? (laughs) <laughs> okay, what happened to it? I don't I don't know. Where did it go? So yeah. even I mean you have to line things up to a perfect T. You brought up action streamer. I love action streamer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and it is there's so many stories and narratives that are brought to the table by virtue of that company and its timing and its uh opportunity and what people want. I mean, it, it brings together the notion of storytelling, which is like, how do you see what other people see? It brings together timing, right? You know, I, I tried to launch this when the iPhone first came out. I couldn't get any money. It failed several times. It lived on the track of my mind. It did an ultra marathon, ultra in, my, marathon. My, an ultra marathon <laughs> in my brain. And then all of a sudden I run into Chris McClendon and Chris McClendon is like, hey, I, I think I can help you figure out how to compress all this information and throw it over the airwaves. And because there's not a love, enough bandwidth in these congested environments, we can make it pop up on people's screens and it can live in this new world of where people are sharing information. And, you know, and, and then boom, we're able to go out there and get money and boom, we're able to go out there and get contracts. And then boom, we're out there talking to different companies and organizations. And then all of a sudden now we're in the middle of COVID and People are looking for amazing content. So you you have to just go, Tim, to your question. You have to just do and believe. And as an entrepreneur, just like as a football player or as any athlete, which I believe are at or are entrepreneurs from the get go. Right. 
Our parents are our seed investors. You know, the college is like a series A. And all of a sudden you get your B and then you get your C round. Woo! And then if you have the opportunity to get a D round, oh my gosh, you have to just work and you have to be able to get back up no matter how many times people knock you down and just go for it. And that's the challenge of being an entrepreneur. And I, and I think that there's another conversation out there where there are so many people that are willing to just follow. And those that are followers are not the entrepreneurs of the world. You know, the entrepreneurs of the world are the leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and those that are leading have to be willing to go and walk in front of people not knowing what is ahead. And take the chance of the next step, not knowing if there is stable footing. Yeah, yeah. And so those that are following are always going to tell the stories, good, bad, or ugly. They're always going to wonder, why can't they? And so there's always going to be this thing in the back of their mind that's going to create this narrative of, you know, I should be the one doing that. Well, then get out there and do it. There is this this entrepreneurial mental fortitude that you must have in order to continue, whether you're an athlete that someone is wondering whether you're focused or not. You still have to go out there and score 45. You still have to go out there and get 15 tackles and two, two and a half sacks and a a pick six. Right. Yeah. And that's that's why, you know, the two of you love what you do because you were out there doing something that was different than other people taking the chance. And even though maybe. At the very beginning, you were calling people; they weren't calling you back. You're like, okay, fine. <laughs> well, as as a ma- as a matter of fact, I think I think I had somebody reach out to you when we first got started, and so you know, you, we we still got you on eventually, which is great. no. But I mean, but the <laughs> thing about it is like stuff like that happens, yeah. right? And and, yeah. and and as an entrepreneur, you you just you turn it off. You're like, yeah, look, it's going to happen when it's going to happen. And so, Tim, going back to your point, you can't worry about timing. You just got to go. Yeah. And you let things happen. People are going to meet you, you know, where you are. And now comes comes back to this whole thing, right? The very beginning of our conversation about this competition. Are you going to let them, are you going to be on the same team? Or are you going to go to battle with them? Or are you yeah. going to go to battle against them? Woo! Oh, that was deep. That was you're, deep. You're in it, man. You're in it. I think I think so. Someone's going to write to me. Someone's going to write to me like, Donnie, that wasn't that deep. <laughs> You know what? If it sounds not that deep, I'll edit it out. I'll I'll tell you this, Donnie. Now, what, four or five months into the show, the best advice was probably actually from one of our first episodes. Ellis Wims, who played defense on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he said one of the best things about playing in the NFL that's taught him now as an entrepreneur, there's always the next play. You you get something Mm -hmm. wrong, you get beat, you know, you weren't in position where you were supposed to be. Okay, come on, next play move on. And that's the thing that when we talk about this idea of like taking rejection as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. To your point, we email people that don't get back. Okay. Next play, move on. And I Mm. think that that piece of the mentality, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an investor, look, you make, you do a bad deal. Okay. Move on to the next one. There is a certain level of comfort that, that you get from that just emotionally where you're like, okay, Mm. I'm going to mess up, but there's always going to be that next play. Yeah. I, I called that recognize, regroup, refocus. That's what, you know, a performance coach always told me. If I 
made the tackle or missed the tackle, recognized what happened, now regroup, kind of get my body together, check out, make sure everything's all good and refocus and identify what's, what's the next play. I would say that's, that's the right way to look at it. The problem is not everybody has uh, something to fall back on, hmm. right? Not everybody has a, a, a pillow to lay on or, or, or a meal to, to, uh, to prepare or a community or family that's going to support them. And so, you know, what I was saying before about entrepreneurship, it's a low barrier to entry. It's a low barrier to entry, but the fall from grace, right, is a, is a challenging one because not everybody's going to be able to recover in the same way. And, yeah. you know, there's also this narrative to the world where we, where, where we do love a good story. And I would expound upon that and say we probably we love a better opera. And in order to make it interesting, they've got to go through a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Let me ask you this. In, in, in sort of your story, you've got so many different aspects of things that you're, you're involved in, entrepreneurship, investing, you know, getting involved in the media and content side. What takes up the most of your time today? And how do you sort of divide your focus and attention when you're trying to, you know, excel? Today? Like things? right like right now? Right now, I'm watching my kids go around my driveway, <laughs> making sure that they don't run out to the street. All right. That's what I pay attention that, that's, to. That's a big job, too. That, that's a big that's job. A, it's a big job. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that I've spent a lot of time, and we can just think about it from COVID. Yeah. Is I've, I've been spending a lot of time just sort of doing my own personal through work and business, being able to recognize, regroup, and refocus. Hmm. Right. You know, going into COVID, I had a job coming. Through COVID, I don't now have a job, hmm. right? Coming into COVID, you know, I had some irons in the fire coming through COVID. Now I'm evaluating what fire is burning the brightest. Yeah. Right. And coming into COVID, I think that there was a pace, right? You know, I was barreling down the highway at 220 miles an hour, you know, and I, and I thought I saw things clearly. And boom, right? You, 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 didn't, you didn't see that little bump in the road that all of a sudden put a ding in your tire, that all of a sudden broke your rim, therefore broke your axle, and then all of a sudden you're sitting on the side of the street, yeah. right? So yeah. that recognized regroup and refocus is now saying, okay, now I'm sitting on the side of the street. I'm watching the highway. I'm watching the, the fire of those specific, you know, stakes in you know in in the in the flames trying to figure out what am i supposed to do right yeah. so i'm yeah. really enjoying this these moments where i'm able to reevaluate and figure out where i'm where i'm going to go next you know like i said i was the ceo of, of petrum data you know i have my investment vehicle i've done a bunch of television obviously from sports background and you know i i, I love being in the midst of creativity, but, you know, I have this knowledge and network and I have this inherent curiosity that now, because the pace is slow, that is starting to heighten. It's more of, I was forced to slow down. And so now all my senses are starting to get more excited and started to realize where I am in life and what I ultimately want to do. And so you ask yeah. me like, where I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking outside <laughs> making sure my kids are good, but I'm really more of anything looking inside to figure out where I am. Yeah. Wow. 
that no that's it's it is a beautiful sentiment and and it is the way you've sort of said it which is you you take this time and you take it in a positive sense to regroup we don't get these moments that often and hopefully it doesn't take a global pandemic often often <laughs> ever there's there's we won't get this ever again yeah we will not get a yeah. hundred i mean i mean all right so march yeah. 5th was the last time i traveled put this in perspective i've been traveling since i was 18 years old hmm at least every weekend or every other week. And I haven't traveled since the 5th of March. I don't know how many days that is, but it's a lot. Just think about all the all the technology and all the connectivity. Think about how different it would be if we didn't have all those devices in order to be able to alert us to what's actually happening, right? So we have a little bit of visibility into what's going on. And I think sometimes even that's important to shut off for a minute so that you can really start to evaluate and lower your sort of social footprint so you can actually understand what type of impression or imprint you would like to make. Right. Yeah. And now you guys, now you guys got me thinking about a lot of different things. Actually, I think, um, given, given the time you've had to reflect, it's actually a, a good way to end with a question we, we always end on, which is what is a piece of advice that you'd give your younger self knowing all the things that you know now? I think it's something I say all the time. It's uh, the breeze of opportunity can come from any direction. You just have to be sensitive enough in order to be able to feel it. Right. And, and if I were to add a little caveat to that, you know, you have to know that the breeze exists. I think that's maybe what I would tell my younger self is that the breeze is going to be there. You know, are you going to, are you going to take the time to really understand and know and feel where it's coming from so that you don't miss it? That's, that's probably what I would tell my younger self. Besides that, I, I'd probably tell my younger self, you know, you, sh you should have practiced your piano and you should have played better golf because those are <laughs> Those are, that's an instrument and a sport you can play for a lifetime, but. Yeah. I think you made out okay. <laughs> I think you did all right for yourself. So with that, we'll take this episode. Uh, hopefully we can recognize it, regroup and refocus and take these learnings with us. Thanks so much to Hani. Thank you very much. All right. Appreciate it, guys. So Tim, that was a fun and meaningful conversation with our guest, 11-year NFL pro Dahani Jones. But now it's time for your favorite segment and mine the partner rundown. We're going to hit on a lot from Dahani's journey as the first NFL player to be on NFL Network to then becoming an entrepreneur. Also, what founders get wrong when pitching VCs. And I also want your thoughts on the rise of subscription media. So lots to get into today. Let's jump right into it. So Dahani Joes became the first NFL player to join NFL Network when it launched in 2003 while he was still an active player. You see players doing that a lot more today. I want your thoughts. Is it a good idea or just more of a distraction? Well, look, we've heard a lot from all of our guests about how they want to maximize their time as an active player as much as possible. Or if they're retired, they wish they had maximized it even more. So I think, like Dahani said, it comes down to the individual athlete, right? Are they performing at a high enough level on the field that they can justify doing these other things? And so I think the three things to focus on are, one, consider your own situation, are you in a position where you can carve out time in addition to your workload as an athlete to go try something new? Number two, maximize your off season. Maybe pick up a new skill 
one new skill every offseason. Sean Green talked about that when we had him on the show. It's something he really zeroed in on. And three, you know, take the long view and uh, realize that the success, to, just like your athletic prowess, doesn't happen overnight. It's something you got to build over the length of your career. Yeah, that's an interesting point there, especially because media is actually one of the places that today it's not considered a distraction. I'm sure it was a little bit more when Dahani was doing interviews on the left side of the field and then running onto the other side to put on his pads and, and go play in the game. I think today it's a lot more expected. But one of the things is that there's only so many of these media jobs that are out there, right? So people kind of expect their favorite players to go become analysts. But over time, you realize that only a small subset of them will. So more broadly, I think your advice applies not just to what athletes can be doing as it pertains to media, but also for them to be maximizing their opportunities in other aspects in the offseason. So whether it's starting their company, whether it's getting involved as an investor, whether it's going and taking an internship opportunity somewhere, I think all of the things that you just listed, whether it's controlling your own situation or you know, maximizing that that skill set learning in the offseason applies across the board, especially because not all of them are going to become media analysts. So one of the things I loved that Donnie talked about is this idea of the entrepreneurial journey. Do you think maybe in our business we get a little too carried away with that idea? So feel free to disagree with me on this. I actually don't think on the whole that we do. I think it is all a response to the fact that Becoming an entrepreneur is so incredibly difficult. It takes so much risk-taking, especially in the early onset, especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur and you're still learning everything and flying by the seat of your pants. So in a way, I think it's a good thing that as investors, as an industry, we celebrate that type of risk because we know the incredible achievements that come out of it, not even just for venture-backed companies, but for any sort of entrepreneurship, for small business entrepreneurship. The problem where we get carried away with it is when we start to lionize these individuals, even when they haven't really done anything. It's very in vogue to be a CEO, to create your own job. And then you realize like, okay, not all CEOs are created equal. So on the whole, I think it's good that we celebrate these people, but we can get carried away with it sometimes. Yeah. And I'll admit as a VC, I think a lot of it is driven by venture capitalists for two reasons. One is we all love to champion the funding rounds that we do, right? Which is not really what building a company is about. It's a very important part of it, but the the success isn't raising the capital. The success is what you go on to do with the capital that you've raised, right? That's like where the work is just just having begun. And for a lot of founders, right. I know they hate the fundraising process for that reason. I also think that as VCs, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but we wish that we could be entrepreneurs ourselves, right? I mean, that's why we, a lot of us like being a part of this industry is because we constantly get to hear new ideas and meet with founders and really feed off of their energy. So I like that he was questioning it. And I think he has every right to do that since he is clearly a true entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and along that same vein, you know, one of the things we talked to, to Dahani about was this idea of storytelling in that fundraising and pitching context. And I think one of the things that founders get wrong most often is that first pitch. What are some of the avoidable mistakes that you've seen founders make when pitching you? Yeah, I think it's a few really common things. The first uh, is almost always like, make sure you're talking to a relevant investor or you're presenting your message in a relevant way, right? So if I'm an investor who has a track record of participating in companies that are in consumer or sports or media or entertainment, and you're a health tech company, okay, 
should we really be talking? Am I really a viable investor for you? Well, maybe there's something really specific that you, you see in my portfolio or in something that I've said that is why you're talking to me or why you're reaching out. So, you know, mention that. That's really important. I think that alone can just cut down on so much wasted time on the entrepreneur's part and also, you know, from a VC perspective, makes it makes it easier uh, or at least clearer That's in right. terms of the terms of engagement. Yeah, I think one of the things building off of that is get your audience to vibe with the problem before you start selling them on the solution. This is this is sort of yep. the key point of storytelling. Like read the room, understand Am I somebody that innately understands this problem? Do you have to convince me about the size and scale of the problem? Before, you know, like we jump right into, and this is the product that I've built. I understand the impulse. This is your baby. As a founder, mm -hmm. you're spending weeks of sleepless nights putting this whole project together. And now you want to come in and sit in front of a VC and pitch the product. But if I'm not bought in to the problem itself, then you're going to be wasting your air. So honestly, totally. that first pitch, if you don't even get to the product or you get to very little of it, but you sort of wet the appetite, but you convince me that this is a billion dollar problem, that is time well spent. And I recommend yep. that you do that. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, one thing we didn't touch on with Dahani, but has become increasingly prevalent in media is the rise of subscription media. Where do you think we're headed with this? Yeah, it's funny, Tim, because we actually talked about this a little bit last week, too, when we had Haley Roses on about how VCs are out on ad-supported media, but they're kind of back in on subscription media. The problem is you have so many of these. I just think about something like Substack, which is like the second coming of Medium, where a lot of independent writers are writing and trying to monetize their content. And now what I've started seeing more recently is like seven to 10 semi-popular writers that maybe have a few thousand people that are reading, but you know, not a massive audience, are now pooling together so that seven to 10 of them that are writing about different topics can sell under one subscription banner. Tim, that's a news, newspaper. They've just yeah. created a newspaper. <laughs> and, and this is what they were railing exactly. against for the last decade. And now they've just gone and created the exact same thing. And God knows one day they're going to start selling ads against it too. And we're back to where we started. So I don't know. I don't know if that many subscriptions are actually going to be sustainable in the long run. I'm also so glad you brought up Substack because there's other people coming out and saying like, hey, I'll help you build a subscription website. You don't need to use this service that takes a VIG off of the small VIG that you're already getting. And I, I'll be interested to see the longevity of these independent creators and journalists and whatnot, because, you know, even though the the depth of traditional media has been, you know, widely broadcasted and talked about everywhere, like there are still perks to being part of a media company with built-in distribution, with an editor. Sure. And so it takes a lot of work to build out an audience. It takes a lot of work to hold yourself accountable to constantly be pushing out content. So we'll see where that goes and, you know, how deep those different niches can dig in. And also, like would look at subscription fatigue and see how willing people are to pay and continue to pay well into the future. Yeah, Tim, I think, I think you're absolutely right. We're at a point where creating your own media has gotten so easy. We are an exact example of that. And I'm so grateful that you're here to hold me accountable as we start to push lots of great content out. So this has been a really fun partner rundown. Thanks for joining me, Tim. Thanks, Jay. So that's it for this week's episode of The Game Plan with Jay Kapoor and Tim Cott. Thank you for tuning in. We really enjoyed having our guest Dahani Jones on the show to share his wisdom. Make sure to follow Dahani across social media on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Special thanks to Greg Roberts at Action Streamer for putting us in touch with Dahani. And hey, if you've made it this far, you must really like what we have to say. Find us on Twitter at The Game Plan Show and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 
We'll see you next week on The Game Plan.